We're on a long journey through the Gospel of Mark, just getting started. So if you're a guest of ours this morning, thanks for, uh, for jumping in with us. We hope that this service would be a time that we do magnify Christ, that you're able to think about God's work in your life in, in a fresh way. And kids, because it's the first Sunday of the month, we don't have our Elevate Children's Church, but I want you to have a piece of paper ready because I need you to draw something later in the service. So borrow some paper, maybe have some around, something you can write on. We're going to have something I'd love for you to draw a little bit later um, coming up in the service. At the end of our service, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper today. And so as we think about that time of worship, that time of response, we'll sing the doxology together as a church after we take the Lord's Supper. And then at that time, you'll be dismissed. But I want to say up front that if you need to talk to somebody about God's work in your life, you're unsure about your own baptism. You're unsure about what it means to follow Jesus. You just need someone to pray with you. We'll be right up here at the front. And so after the doxology, when we dismiss people, don't feel like the chance to respond is over. In fact, it's just beginning at that point. And we want you to be able to come for prayer. We would love to talk to you about God's work in your life and what that looks like. Also, after the service today, we're having our Discover Emmaus lunch. I know several of you have mentioned that you're going to stick around, have lunch with us. If you're a guest of ours today, we have a few extra lunch boxes available. And so if you'd love to, uh, not Superman lunch boxes, but like Jimmy John's lunch boxes. But we have a couple of lunch boxes extra available. If you'd like to stick around and hear more about the church, we'd love to in invite you to be a part of that. Choir is getting at it at 4 o'clock, preparing for some specials coming up. 5 o'clock tonight, we have our marriage night, which I'm extremely excited about. And we've had a great sign-up for that. So fun things happening at, at Emmaus today. Right now, though, our focus is on God's Word because we don't need activities. We don't need these things going on. We need to hear from the Lord, not from me, but from the Lord, from His Word. And so we're going to begin Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Let's read scripture together as we get into this this morning. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And then our two verses for today, 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. May God bless the reading of his word. So I'll tell you a quick story uh, about my high school football career. It's a quick story because I had a very quick high school football career. <laughs> like it didn't last very long. I didn't really grow until I got later into high school and so didn't play a lot of football, but I grew up at a very small town in, in southwest Oklahoma, a little place called Central High. It's halfway between Lawton and Marlowe down there in southwest Oklahoma and Stevens County. And back in the day, two-a-day football practice. And as a kid, we lived right on the school grounds. And so I grew up watching the football team go to two-a-days, just dreaming about what it'd be like to go to two-a-day football. Now, I had no idea what two-a-day football meant, but I wanted to go there. I wanted to go to practice. I was excited about this. And so I still remember 
first two-a-day practice, I wake up, look at the clock, it's just a little bit after six o'clock in the morning, throw on my pads. We lived there on school grounds, which was incredible. We had access to the gym and the baseball field and everything. It was incredible. So I threw on, threw on my pads a little after six o'clock in the morning, walked over there. I'm going to be ready to go for practice in the morning. I get over there to the field. There's nobody there, like absolutely nobody there. It's, it's pitch black. Nobody's there. And I start to think, huh, maybe Maybe we're not having practice today, or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe something happened, I didn't get the memo. I get back to the house. When I had looked at the clock to say that it was a little after six o'clock in the morning, it was 12.30 a.m. Like, you know, like, not the digital clocks, but the clocks that have the hands on them. So I saw one hand slightly past the top and the other one pointing to the bottom, just after six o'clock, let's go play football. I woke up at 12.30 a.m., fully dressed to go play football, show up in the field, there's nobody there. You know what? If you don't know what time it is, you're going to make a fool of yourself. Like, you're going to end up saying, so I went back, slept a couple hours, woke up, went back to practice uh, in the morning. One of the things that Jesus did when he came into the world, one of the things that he did is he allowed us to know what time it is. And not what time it is on the clock, because you'll check that many times during the sermon, not what time it is on the clock, Jesus came so we would know what time it is in history. Verse 14, Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. If you're taking notes, three points, three different elements of time you need to get. Number one, it is time for the gospel to be proclaimed. Jesus comes proclaiming the gospel. If you're new to church, unfamiliar, uncomfortable with understanding your Bible, when you see the word gospel, put good news in there. Gospel is just a fancy Bible word for good news. Jesus came proclaiming, announcing the good news of God that was coming into the world. And I want you to notice what type of situation is going on as Jesus comes proclaiming the good news. What's the very first thing you find there? That John was arrested. John was being handed over. The gospel announcement comes at a time of suffering for the people. Here's John the Baptist, the prophet of the people. He's been handed over, and we're going to actually find out later in the gospel of Mark why he was handed over for doing this prophetic work that he was doing. This idea, though, that John was arrested, that he was handed over, it becomes the exact same word, the exact same phrase that is going to be used for Jesus being arrested and handed over. What happens to John becomes a pattern for what's going to happen to Jesus, which becomes a pattern for what's going to happen to Jesus' followers. This idea that the gospel comes in the middle of suffering and difficulty. And not only that, but notice where Jesus goes here to proclaim the gospel. It says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. If you would have told people, where's Jesus going to come and proclaim the gospel, they would have said he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go to Judea. He's going to go to the middle of the religious camp, and there he's going to proclaim the gospel. But instead, Mark says that his ministry starts in Galilee. And the really interesting thing about your Bible, you can take a sneak peek at the end of Mark, and the end of Mark is also going to show a picture of Jesus' disciples being sent into Galilee to proclaim the gospel. The beginning of Mark, Jesus goes into Galilee to proclaim the gospel. 
end of Mark, Jesus sends his people into Galilee to proclaim the gospel. Why does it matter that he goes to Galilee? Well, Galilee might as well be Central High. Like, it is obscure, out of the way, unless you're from that area, you're not going to know about it. It's not the popular area. It's not the famous area. Jesus' ministry begins in a place that's out of the way, behind the scenes, in obscurity. Think about that. You come as God to the world to proclaim the good news that salvation has come, and you start in Podunk, America? You start in the middle of nowhere? You start in the backwoods? That's so counterintuitive to us and our world because we're so drawn to fame, and we're so drawn to popularity, and we're so drawn to self-promotion that we can't imagine the fact that the gospel begins here with the gospel being proclaimed in Galilee. Two things that are never required for God to work in your life, comfort and fame. Two things that God will always use to work in your life, suffering and obscurity. As a church, as a church, the way the gospel is going to be advanced is we don't have to have comfort and we don't have to have popularity and fame. In fact, the gospel is usually advanced in the middle of suffering and by people who aren't the famous ones, who aren't the popular ones, right in the middle of that obscurity, that's where God does his best work because he receives the glory for it. Now when you think about this idea of the gospel being proclaimed, we have to ask the question, what is the gospel? And, and man, that's a million dollar question right there. And it's a multifaceted question. This idea of what is this good news? In the Bible, you can summarize the gospel with one sentence, like Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15, that, that Jesus came and died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, the, the power of God for salvation. You can tell the gospel with stories, which you have four examples of in your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The gospel story can be shown with the power of Jesus coming into the world. One of the ways that I love to show a picture of the gospel or explain the gospel is this image that we're going to put up here on the screen. Kids, break out your paper, break out your pens. Adults, break out your paper, break out your pens. Draw this thing. Now, I'm going to show you this image in just a second with some words put into it. But right now, I want you to see it with the symbols. This is great for our kids, but... Most of us would probably do better than with this one as well, uh, as adults. You start in the top left. That arrow that's pointing up is pointing us to God. That God is the creator of all things. That he is due worship. That he is due all the glory. That he is the king over all. So it points up. It says everything begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That line that goes out to the right. That is going away from God, and the Bible word for that is sin. When we go away from God, it's called sin, and sin leads to brokenness every time. You see that X over there, brokenness, death, the wages of sin is death. When we go away from God's design for the world, it leads to brokenness and sin and death. All those squiggly lines that you see leading outside of that circle, those are our human attempts to overcome sin and brokenness in the world. Like, I can get my life together. We can figure this out. We can come together around all these things. And you know where those squiggly lines take you? Further from God. They take you further from God. How do you get back to God? 
not because of what you do, but because of Jesus. That is the good news. That is the gospel that he has come as the king, as the savior, as the Lord, to be able and lead us back to God, that we repent and believe in the gospel, and that leads us to live God's design for our lives. Now let me show you this with some words put up there, if you'd like to add some words. Remember, it all begins with God's design. He's the creator, he's the king, he receives all glory for the world and for our lives. It all begins with God's design. In your life, when you go away from God's design for your life in the world, it's called sin. And it may not look like it immediately, but it always leads to brokenness and pain and death. And we can try to escape that in our own ways, but our hope is that we repent and believe in the gospel, that Jesus has come to fulfill all of God's plans for the world. And when we do that, when you believe the gospel, you will recover and pursue God's good design for your lives. If you ever need just to be able to have an easy way to explain the gospel to someone, write this down. Go home. Make a screensaver about it for your phone. Put it up somewhere where you can look at it. This picture of how God works in the world, how God works in Scripture. Now, did Jesus come and, and draw this in the dirt? Well, he did draw in the dirt one time, but I don't think that that's probably what he drew in the dirt when, when he came. But this is an easy way to explain to someone, this is what it looks like for God to work in the world. Number one, I want you to hear, it is time for the gospel to be proclaimed. Jesus is Lord, he is king, he is savior. Now, let's go to number two. Middle of verse 15, or beginning of verse 15, what does it say? Well, it says that when Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So if you're taking notes, point number two is it is time for the kingdom to come. This idea of time being fulfilled, that all of God's plans for the world are coming to fruition, this word for time is a really unique word for time. It doesn't mean a point on the clock as much as it means the significance of time. So I'm going to give away some parenting secrets to the kids. So hang tight. Don't use these secrets against us, okay? Here's, here's how this word time works. When you think about leaving an event, there's no greater gift that another family can give you than to say, hey, let's leave this event at the same time. Because then you can tell your kids, oh yeah, you know, we have to go because such and such, they're leaving too right now. Like it doesn't matter what time you leave, just the fact that you left at the same time resolves like 99% of drama in all of life involving kids. Like if we can just leave at the same time. Or the idea that in parenting, five minutes can stand in for whatever amount of time you need it to stand in for. Like it doesn't mean five minutes on the clock. Like we're leaving in five minutes just means, hey, get ready to go. When I say we're gonna go, you need to be ready to go. Like five minutes there doesn't have to be five minutes on a clock. And you can tell from my earlier story today, I can't read a clock anyway. So it's not five minutes on the clock. It's more the significance of the time. Right here, the time is fulfilled means all of God's promise plans are now being fulfilled. This kingdom that was talked about in the, in the Old Testament, David is king, this promised king, this Messiah that would come, it's happening. It is time for the kingdom to come. The time has been fulfilled, 
And this idea of the kingdom is going to be explained all throughout Mark's gospel. Jesus is going to use parables. It's really mysterious the way he talks about the kingdom. But there's one idea I want you to get that will be so helpful for you when you read your New Testament. In, in some ways, this unlocked, I know I'm overstating this, but, but hear me out. In some ways, this idea just unlocked the New Testament for me. And it's the idea that when the kingdom of God comes, we talk about it as already, not yet. Already, not yet. If you've been around Emmaus, you've heard me talk about this, and we're going to continue to talk about it because it just helps make sense of the world that we live in. It helps you read your Bible. Here's what we mean by that. When Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, establishing the church, establishing his people, the kingdom of God has already come. That victory is here, and it is real, and it is true in your life and in the world. But did you know we live in a world where there's still a lot of brokenness and pain and death? And you might have experienced God's work in your life, and your life still feels like you just so much sin. God, I love you, I wanna live for you, I've experienced your salvation, and man, I make a mess of life most days. Like, why, why is this, if your kingdom has already come, why do I still struggle with the pain and death and sin that's in this world? Because not yet has the kingdom come in all of its fullness. Not yet has sin and death been completely done away with. And so we live in this tension. We live in this tension between already the kingdom has come. That is absolutely true. Not yet have we seen everything that that's going to mean. The question is, though, what do we need to be doing right now? Do you just give up? No, you don't give up. The end of verse 15 tells you. The end of verse 15 says, if the king has come, if the time is fulfilled, what are you supposed to do? Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom has come. The time is fulfilled. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe are two sides of the same coin. Repent means to turn from, to turn away from sin, to leave that in the past completely, to turn from those things. Believe means to turn to, to devote and dedicate your life to Jesus, that my whole life is found in him. I turn from and I turn to. I have freedom from sin and I have freedom to live for the Lord. I was trying to think of a better way to explain this. I needed a 21st century way to explain this. So we're gonna go with the cell phone, okay? So stay with me here. I needed a, how do I explain repent and believe? Most of us who grew up without cell phones all the time, we struggle terribly taking selfies. Like uh, teenagers, you know, you've seen old people like us attempt to take selfies, they're really bad. You guys take some weird selfies though, like the one-eyed selfie, and the like looking off into the distance selfie, you guys take some weird pictures. But uh, like the selfie where that camera is pointed at you, all of life is focused at me. When I repent, the focus is no longer on me. I, I turn away from myself. I'm no longer living for self. I'm no longer living for the things of this world. So I go from selfie to I turn around and say, God, the focus is on you and living in your world and serving the people around me. So in some small way, and this is not a perfect illustration, but I just want you to think about this. In our world, we live in a selfie world. We live in a world where people are obsessed with self and image and everything about me. When I repent, 
I turn that focus around and I say now my focus is devoted to Jesus. I believe in him, I trust in him. Another way to think about this is to go from clenched fist, I'm trying to hold on to life, it's spiraling out of control, we live in a crazy world, you live with clenched fists, to repent and believe in the gospel is just to open your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. My life is a mess when I try to hold on to things, and the harder I grip, the more tense I become, the more tired I become, the more angry I become. Repent and believe in the gospel that Jesus is worthy, that you can trust in him. Have you ever done that? If you're here, maybe just family and friends, you just came to watch a baptism today because of someone you really love. Maybe you're here just because you come to church, honestly, to make people happy around you, you know it's the right thing to do. Can I ask you, have you ever repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus for salvation? Is that true of your life? that you said, you know what, I can't hold on to my life anymore. Back in the day, we uh, grew up in churches that had pews, and you would stand up and sing 18 verses of Just As I Am at the end of the service, and you would have this thing where you knew you were supposed to respond to Jesus, and you would grab onto the pew in front of you and white-knuckle the pew, and at some point, you just have to let go. You just have to let go and say, I trust you. Now, let me ask you a question. If you've done that, what now? Here's where the, the way the Bible is put together is so incredible. I'm not going to give you a full Greek lesson here, but hang with me. These words, these verbs right here, repent and believe, the way they're presented to us is they're presented as ongoing realities. It's not just one time repent and believe. It's that repentance and belief in Jesus characterizes my life in an ongoing way that I'm constantly in this process of turning away from myself and focusing my life on the Lord. You know that when you're trying to break a bad habit in life or there's something in your life that you just want to get rid of so badly, part of turning away from that habit is you have to turn to something else to focus your life on. You have to turn to something good. It's not just we turn from the bad, we turn to something that is so much better, that repentance and belief characterizes our life in an ongoing, everyday way. How do you do this? You need to live around people who are also repent and believe people. You know what we call that? We call that the church. The gift of being a part of a church is that you're surrounded by people who aren't obsessed with holding their own lives together, but they're constantly repenting and believing in the gospel. That's what makes church so good. When you say, I need to repent and believe, God, surround me with the people that are doing the same things. And then we're able to proclaim that message to people around us. When we talk to kids about baptism, I'll sit down with kids who are, are talking to their parents or grandparents about baptism, and we'll begin to talk through it. And, and this might be even helpful to some of you here that are thinking about baptism in, in your own lives. We'll sit down and we'll talk about the meaning of baptism and the purpose of baptism, and then I'll ask them, how many times in your life are you gonna be baptized? And they'll usually get around to, yeah, well, I'm going to be baptized once. And that's true. Unless there's confusion or, or misunderstanding or things happen, we, we're baptized once in life. And then I'll ask them, how many times do you take the Lord's Supper in life? And they never know what to say. They know they're being tricked, but they don't know what to say at, at that point. And they'll say, uh, a bunch? Yeah. Like, I hope it's thousands of times that you take the Lord's Supper as part of the church. Baptism 
baptism is a picture of that initial beginning repent and believe. Here's a picture, here's a starting line. I've repented and believed in the gospel and I want people to see that. Now God, I need you to surround me with a church that's doing that and when we take the Lord's Supper, that's our ongoing picture of repent and believe. So baptism is that initial picture of repent and believe. The Lord's Supper is our ongoing picture of repent and believe that we do as a church. We celebrated baptism earlier, so it'd be pretty great if we did the Lord's Supper right now. That we would come together and say, Lord, there's a lot of things in my life today that I need to repent of, and I need to believe in you in a fresh way. And I'm gonna gather around people who aren't here because they depend upon themselves. I'm gonna gather around people who also want to repent and believe in the gospel and who are gonna devote their lives to you. And so what we're gonna do right now is I'm gonna pray for us, and after I pray for us, we're gonna have people that are gonna go to these tables, and you're gonna be able, after prayer, to come to these tables. They'll present you with two cups that are stacked together. One will have the bread, one will have the juice. Just twist them around a little bit, and, and, and they'll open up there. You'll have those, have those bread and juice in front of you. Hold on to that, and we'll take that together. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, and you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, let me encourage you, there is no shame, no embarrassment in not taking part in this particular part of the service. This is your chance to reflect and say, God, what are you saying to my life? What do you wanna do in my life? Have I ever trusted in you for salvation? And then after the service, you'd come up so we could talk about that, talk about baptism, talk about salvation in your life. Let me pray for us now, and we're gonna move into this really special time of worship. You'll be able to come to these tables as soon as I pray. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you that we live in a time of history when it's time for the gospel to be proclaimed. Nobody came in here needing more religious weight added to their shoulders. Nobody came in here needing more advice for life. We came because we need good news. And we believe good news is found in Jesus. And God, it is time for your kingdom to come. That kingdom that is breaking into the world, a world full of chaos and darkness and death, but your kingdom has come and is coming in all of its fullness. And God, right now, at this moment in the service, whatever it might say on the clock, it is time to repent and believe. It is time for us to understand what it means for you to be king and Lord and Savior. God, I pray if there are people here who have never trusted in Jesus for salvation, that instead of embarrassment or doubt, God, you would replace that with a feeling of joy and hope that they would turn to you right now, just unclench their fists and lay their hands before you. God, that you would bring salvation. And Father, I pray that as we gather as the church to celebrate the Lord's Supper, remind us of that ongoing repentance and belief that if there are those here who are just going through dark times in life, that this time of worship would be such a gift of your grace and mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.